Slavery and the Fugitive Slave Law from Bible Defense of Slavery by Josiah Priest. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Not wishing to be considered as reckoning without our host upon the great and all-absorbing question of slavery, which is generally admitted to have become the most important question of the age, we subjoin the following extracts from the pens of Rev. A. Campbell of Bethany College, Virginia, and Rev. George Junkin of Miami University, Ohio two of the ablest divines of the age in which they live. Slavery and the Fugitive Law from Rev. A. Campbell This subject is engrossing much attention and calling forth much inquiry in every direction. It is, with many humane persons of no religious profession and with professors of all parties, a very exciting subject. It is being pressed on my attention by many correspondents, and I am frequently called upon to open my pages to a full discussion of the subject, or to give my opinion on the whole premises. I, therefore, conceive it to be a duty which I owe to myself, my Christian brethren, and my fellow citizens at large, to deliver myself fully upon the subject, so far as the Bible arguments pro and con, are alleged by both parties, and once for all place the subject upon our pages. With us, the Bible is the only infallible standard, both of religion and humanity. The God of the Bible is the lawgiver of the universe, and he has, by his inspired and commissioned teachers, fully revealed his will touching all the duties arising from all the relations in which man stands to man, in the church and in the world. God is the author of all human relations. He has created the relation of husband and wife, parent and child, master and servant, magistrate and subject. He has also prescribed the duties of husbands and wives, of parents and children, of masters and servants, of governors and governed, towards each other. Our moral righteousness, as well as our piety, is to be approved or condemned by his statutes and precepts. There is false religion, as well as true religion, in the world. There are also false, as well as true humanity. There is a healthful, as well as a morbid, sensitiveness on almost every question which may be mooted, on human relations and obligations. Moderation, candor, and charity are, therefore, always in good keeping with our position, when any one of these grand subjects is agitated with unusual earnestness and zeal. I, therefore, with all deference to the opinions of others, will attempt to express my own on the subjects now being pressed and pressing upon our attention. The idea of master and servant is as old as the Bible, and has existed since the days of Cain and Abel. It was said to Cain, 
being the firstborn of mankind, that if he did well, he should rule over his brother Abel, and unto him his brother would look up. The younger shall serve the elder, in one of the most natural and ancient oracles in the world. It was said by the inspired Noah that Canaan should be a servant to his brethren. From this I only argue that the idea of servitude is coeval with society, antediluvian and postdiluvian. Two thousand years before the Christian era, the patriarchs were generally masters, and some of them great masters, over their fellow men. Was it voluntary or involuntary is not now the question. There was a necessity in the very essence of society for this relation. Orphans and unfortunate persons must be served, and they must serve in return. Such was, and is, and always will be, the irremediable condition of mankind. It is of the essence of benevolence that widows, orphans, and the destitute be provided for, and it is of the essence of justice that, when practicable, they should voluntarily or involuntarily serve in return. But these are only suggestions or reflections growing out of the nature of society. The divine law is promulged in harmony with this condition of society, and based upon the recognition of it. And to this we especially invite attention. There is but one divine and absolutely perfect code of social duties, one absolutely perfect constitution of society in the world. The civilized world, without an exception, without a dissenting voice, assents to this law as the standard of moral perfection in the social system. It was written, and it is the only law ever literally written, by the hand of God. I need not say that it was the Magna Carta of the only nation ever God placed under a theocratic form of government. It is sometimes emphatically called the law, or the law of ten commandments. Its preamble is, I am the Lord thy God that brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Therefore hear, O Israel. To one section of it, we emphatically invite attention. It is the consummating statute of the divine constitution. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's property. This is our first argument in demonstration of the divine recognition and acknowledgment of the relation of master and servant, or of one man having a rightful property in another. It is, therefore, all important that we understand the meaning of the word servant as used by the supreme lawgiver and judge of the world in this case. That a man is here 
as fully recognized as property as a house, an ox, an ass, is indisputable. The term selected is as fully defined as any other term in the precept, as the term wife and the term house. This, to some minds, may demand a word of explanation. Suffice it, then, to state that there is, in the Hebrew language, as there was in Hebrew society, two classes of servants, represented by two distinct words, indicative of different positions or relations. These are hired servants and bondmen. The former is represented by one word, and the latter by another. These are of different origin and meaning. A hired servant in the law of Moses is called Sakir. A bondman or bond servant is uniformly denominated Gethed. The latter is never called Sakir, nor the former Gethed. Like Dulos in the Septuagint and in the New Testament, Gethed includes diverse sorts of servants not receiving wages. But Sakir indicates simply a hired servant. They are sometimes found in the same verse in contrast. Leviticus chapter 25 verse 39. If thy brother that dwelleth by thee becomes poor and be sold to thee, thou shalt not compel him to serve as a bond servant, a gefed, but as a hired servant, a sachir. Again, verse 42, he shall not be sold as a bondman, a gefed. Verse 44, of the heathen thou shalt buy bondmen, gefed. Again, Leviticus chapter 25, verse 53, as a yearly hired servant, a sachir, he shall be with thee. So again in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 18, he hath been worth double a hired servant. Chapter 24, verse 14, thou shalt not oppress a hired servant. In both these cases, it is sachir. But when Moses says, Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 15, remember, thou wast a bondman in Egypt. He does not say, thou wast a sachir, but a gethed, not a hired servant, but a slave. This I give in evidence, and much more, to the same effect, could be given in evidence, to show that the tenth precept of the law of ten commandments, the standard of moral perfection, universally so acknowledged, recognized and sanctioned the idea of servitude, absolute and unlimited in duration, by not using the word sakhir, but the word geved, the same word used in the malediction against Canaan, a servant of servants, or a geved gevedim, shall he be to his brethren. This, then, I assume to be a settled point. Its value is hereafter to be considered. In the Septuagint version of the Old Testament, 
the contrast between the bond and the hired servant is kept up by the terms oiketis and michotes the former as well as doulos being originally applied to bond servants and the latter to hired servants the oiketis was one that belonged to the house or family the michutes was one that served for wages whether the period was long or short the other served as a bondman and had the privileges of the family protection and support it is worthy of remark in this place that the term servant in our language when applied to apostles prophets or workers for christ is never michetos because they are not hirelings or free servants they were the lord's bondmen and are therefore called duoloi or oixaitai they held no property in themselves they were while free in one sense the lord's bondmen in another but we return to the moral law and jewish dispensation for biblical and rudimental ideas of the subject of servitude the last precept of the decalogue and the first precept of the judicial or political code must be compared in order to decide the proper interpretation of both we shall therefore place them in juxtaposition side by side that they may reciprocally define and illustrate one another they read as follows thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife nor his manservant nor his maidservant nor his ox nor his ass nor anything that is thy neighbor's exodus chapter twenty one verse two if thou buy a servant geved six years shall he serve and in the seventh he shall go free for nothing if he come in by himself he shall go out by himself if he were married then his wife shall go out with him if his master have given him a wife and she have borne him sons and daughters the wife and children shall be her masters and he shall go out by himself and if the servant shall plainly say i love my master my wife and my children i will not go out free then his master shall bring him to the magistrates he shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl and he shall serve him for ever here then commences the institution of servitude among the jews under a theocracy i need not say that the sun gives light as little need to say that the law of servitude was holy just and good this is hebrew servitude and neither greek nor roman neither anglican nor american slavery the hebrew servant here rendered by the seventy into greek by paida from pais a boy was likely a young man being it is presumed a minor he is sold for six years meantime he falls in love with one of his master's female servants and is constitutionally married while yet a gethed a bond servant the day of his freedom arrives what a dilemma 
he has a wife and children by his nature and his masters by right which shall he choose freedom or slavery a modern abolitionist would say run away my good sir and take your dear wife and children with you god has made all men free and equal your master took the advantage of you and now heartless tyrant that he is he will keep your wife and your dear babes in perpetual slavery which i am sure you love as much as he loves his there is no moral wrong in this you were not of mature age and reason when you got married as very few such slaves as you are take up your couch sir and walk you are getting no wages here you will be a slave all your days can you have your ears bored to the doorpost and carry to your grave the brand of your cowardice and infamy will you make yourself a slave for ever if bored your doom is fixed his master having treated him with all humanity being one that feared god and wrought righteousness he thanked his new friend for his benevolence and said i cannot leave my wife she was given me by her master and he has done well for her for me and for our children i cannot leave him i cannot leave them his ear was bored with as little pain as a lady suffers for the admission of a golden ring and he and his offspring became servants for ever such was the first statute of the political code of the commonwealth of israel enacted anno mundi twenty five thirteen before christ fourteen ninety two and such is the first commentary on the tenth commandment the first law of the new constitution under which god placed the elect nation of israel such will be called the bright side of the picture there is however no picture of one color that is physically and morally impossible nor is there any picture without shade and such is the present picture of all society the best that exists on earth it will be said and said with truth that this is a case of voluntary servitude but only as i have presented it it is indeed a choice of evils suppose this said slave had been married the first year after his master bought him to a young female servant the property of his master and that he was a forward energetic independent and noble-minded slave what then he asks his wife and children at the commencement of the sabbatical year his master refuses to give him his wife and children too hard indeed tyrannical cruel is it not yes say a b and c but responds his master his wife was mine and i cannot part with her her mistress loves her and cannot do without her i cannot afford it his labor has not countervailed my expenditures upon him and her and their children i do no wrong either on the score of humanity or of justice god enacted the law he made me master and him my bond-servant 
I can do better for him and them than they can do for themselves, and serve myself too, better than without them. We are all happier together than we could be apart. I am the slave, he the free man. I have to care for him. He has no care for himself, his wife, or children. If he were able to compensate me, I might give him his wife and his children. And if he chooses to do so, he will sooner obtain the means under my direction, and by my capital, than he could otherwise do. It is a benevolent and a just law, and I will abide by it. Such was the first law of the kingdom of Israel, under the theocracy, and such would be a rational and moral view of it. Other statutes on this subject, found in that law, will prepare our minds for the consideration and comprehension of the Christian law, the higher law, and the fugitive slave law of the present crisis. But it is neither my duty nor my inclination to defend it. It is enough to say that it was God's own enactment, as much as the law of ten commands. But it is not of the same compass nor perpetuity. It was a local and temporary arrangement. Its value to us consists chiefly in the recognition of what may, in the judgment of God, be consistent with moral rectitude and the purity of the divine law. The God of the New Testament is the God of the Old. It is a maxim, universally conceded, that what is just in little is just in much. That which may be done rightfully for a day, a month, or a year, may be done for a longer period. It is theft to steal one cent, as essentially theft, as to steal ten thousand dollars. A person who can rightfully hold property in a man for one year, or five, may rightfully extend the term indefinitely. Christianity is not more just than Judaism, but it is yet premature to apply the principle developed in this statute, as it would be to defend it, being a divine enactment. We have the whole Bible open, law and gospel too. We greatly respect an intelligent, conscientious, and generous philanthropy. We will ever do homage to a pure philanthropist. But there may be a morbid, sickly philanthropy, as well as a rational and sound philanthropy. The religious sometimes become superstitious. The generous are not always just. And professed philanthropists have, not unfrequently, been more fanatical than benevolent, and more in love with their own opinions than with the rights of man. But with the patient and generous charities of my readers, I will endeavor to develop the Christian duties and obligations on the whole premises, now being laid before the public on the higher law, the fugitive slave law, and every other law allied to the present question, the great question of our age, so far as our national interests and honor are concerned. A. C. End of Slavery and the Fugitive Slave Law from Rev. A. Campbell